Welcome to the third episode of Dubon Belgium South Africa Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone and joining me as always is the Canadian who, according to Davey, is a control freak in the sheets, Logan Saunders. Good morning. Good, very early morning for Logan. Yes, I just finished my work. You gotta love working off of Beijing hours. Uh, during my breaks, I watched the episode that we are about to podcast about, so it is very fresh in my mind. Yay! And it is one of the best episodes of any TV show ever. Ever, ever, ever. Even the first task that we slightly dissed last week is actually a bit more entertaining than I remembered. Yeah, it's entertaining, it's just that the rest of the episode is the iconic museum heist and the iconic non-elimination elimination. Yes, the initial non-elimination which turns into an elimination. Oh, as you well know, I've seen up to episode four now, and the fact that I know that these two episodes are basically two parts of the same episode, and that these two episodes are essentially the fall and greater fall of someone is just, it's delightful. I gotta say, this is the true debut of the, of the, somebody knows they're eliminated, or suspects they're eliminated, and they gotta bluff their way through to get to the next episode. They love doing this type of task once per season in Belgian Mall. They do, but spoilers for next episode, the person who is meant to be eliminated here doesn't learn their lesson and gets eliminated next week. Yeah, it's pretty... It's Well, it's impossible to top that. But it's funny that they kind of experimented this with Argentina with a lot lower stakes. In Argentina, they had the horse race challenge where... One person knew they won the race, and then they had to. They then they all discussed who won the race, and if they picked the right person, that person wouldn't get their exemption, and money would be added to the pot. If they were wrong, that person gets their exemption, and no money gets added into the pot. Yeah, whereas this one is a game of life and execution for someone. Yes. It really is. Yes, the stakes get upped. I'm guessing I'm guessing producers went through this task in the Argentina season and thought, hmm, not quite high enough stakes, and there was a lot of drama created out of it anyway. So they're probably thinking, we'll probably get twice as much drama if we have an elimination based on this type of challenge. However, what they didn't factor in is that Kathy and Jills aren't there this time to make it ten times more dramatic. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, can you imagine someone like Kathy and Jill doing this type of an execution? Which, even with a cast like this one, where everyone kind of likes each other, can get a little bit messy. Yes. I guess I guess we're, we're starting with the end. We should probably start with the beginning of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. So previously, the nine remaining candidates in South Africa were given a rude awakening on a bus tour around Cape Town, in the form of Hans returning and being given a chance to get back in the game. He did, and after a wildlife park escape room, and the first iconic game in Shoshaloza, the price of Hans was revealed, a double elimination at that evening's execution. And in the end, it was Yolene and Booba who paid the price, as they were the next two to be sent home. And we begin on day six in Cape Town with everyone eating breakfast, and apparently Booba and Yolene were both huge suspects, and Jill gives us an explanation on why any of the remaining eight could still be the mole. He doesn't try to narrow it down for us. He doesn't, but he did this at the start of the Buenos Aires section of Argentina as well, 
And he also does it at the start of episode four, where he sits everyone down and asks whether they're the mole individually. And no one slips up? <laughs> no, surprisingly not. Nobody kind of sits there and raises their hands and goes, yep, it's definitely me. Show's over. <laughs> well, then, well, it's reverse psychology. It's someone's... They, they, did that, they did this with the American version of the mole, where they had... Yes, in the celebrity moles they did this, where everyone says in their intro, I am the mole. Usually it's denial of, no, I'm not the mole. But they reversed it. Yeah, so the only person who is telling the truth is the mole, and then everyone else is just a big, fat, stinking uh, fucking liar. <laughs> so Gilles begins by asking for six candidates who don't mind getting wet, and two who want to take it easy. And they choose Marsena and Annalise as the two who want to take it easy. And when the six who don't mind getting wet get to their cars, they have to split up again. Four unguided projectiles in one car, and two control freaks in the other. And they choose Hans and Robin as the control freaks, and Aline, David, Bertrand, and Sam as the unguided projectiles. It's kind of ironic that all of the all of the male contestants were the ones who like to get wet. See, I was avoiding making a Davy joke with the who wants to get wet thing. I I thought that was a little bit classless. <laughs> Oh, now we have class on this podcast. When when did this happen? I I missed the memo on this. We are a different class, and you should know that by now. I mean, we're definitely not immature enough. For example, if another mole podcast released their email address, we we wouldn't sign them up for multi mailing lists or conservative book club or or um, pottery barn. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't be immature enough to do that. <laughs> you got you got to keep signing them up. Yeah, and you know what I'm referring to, and technically nobody in the audience does unless they've checked Twitter. <laughs> but yes, in case anyone was wondering, it was me. I thought it would be quite funny, and I'm a child. It's a good thing that Annalise wasn't the one who said that she liked to get wet. I don't know how the cast would have reacted to that. Just imagine Annalise being an unguided projectile. Imagine her flying off that giant airbag. It would be wonderful. Well, she would be more awake than she was during the museum heist. <laughs> She'd break something. She'd break a hip on the way down. <laughs> you know what? That should have been the penalty if you fall asleep during the museum heist, is that Marzana and Annalise are sitting on the beanbag chairs, and two people jump on the other end of the chair, and you get catapulted to jolt yourself awake. <laughs> And Robin says that he's still waiting for the mole to leave a sign somewhere saying the mole was here. And something tells me that he's been watching the latest US season for some inspiration on that. And Jill meets them at a lake and sends Robin and Hans off to a booth. The other four will get a puzzle individually one at a time while lying on a giant airbag. When they begin to solve it, a money clock will count down for Hans and Robin at a rate of 50 euros per 5 seconds, beginning at 1,000 euros. When they think the puzzle has been solved, they get to hit a button and the puzzle solver will be launched into the air by two men who will jump from the platform onto the airbag, and just to make things fair, Robin and Hans get a copy of the puzzles too to help, but their booth is facing away from the airbag, so they have to kind of assume when the puzzle has been solved. I guess the contestant can't yell, Hey, I solved the puzzle! Press the button now! I would assume not. <laughs> and Aline is first up on the airbag. She gets the word puzzle 1 slash 4L, and Hans solves it as the Flemish word for quail, which is quartal, at 750 on the timer. They push it 500 euros, but she hasn't solved it. And she describes the puzzle as stupid. Well, that's what happens when you hang out with the guys, I guess. You just think everything around you is stupid. 
I really hate those Rebus puzzles, I'll be honest. It's the sort of puzzle I really suck at. Yeah, I'm not the... Actually, um, for trivia, when I used to go to trivia at the bar every week, they always gave us a sheet of uh, Rebus puzzles. And I started getting better at them after about the 30th uh, sheet. And in the continuation of my favourite running joke from the past three episodes so far, Bertrand is up second, his puzzle is literally a children's one where you have to work out which switch is connected through a massive wires to a light bulb. <laughs> because they can't trust Bertrand to do anything intelligent, and it's delightful. I like how there's like a difficulty adjustment for each individual uh, contestant. Aline gets the toughest one of the quartal, quartal, quaffle puzzle and then uh you know hans gets the try to form a penguin with the clay and have robin recognize it uh sam gets a really really tough one uh davy gets a count the number of squares which is really tough to do if you don't do the puzzle that type of puzzle that often and then bertrand gets a freaking first grader kids maze that you draw with the pencil and just trace like you would if you were at like the uh chuck e cheese restaurant or something that's exactly what i was gonna say because bertrand gets the most difficult challenge of all which is doing a puzzle that's written on a dinner map for a child (laughs) (laughs) he should have said oh i'm really good at this me and my parents went out for dinner right before i came out to film this and i rocked i rocked this maze but the best thing about this for me is the fact that they say that bertrand is supposed to be the most intelligent of the four (laughs) and then he gets the first greater maze (laughs) follow the maze so the mouse gets its cheese well uh, robin can you do this no hans can you do this no there's only one man who can help the mouse find the cheese in the Red Robin restaurant. Who should we summon? Whose symbol should we flash into the night sky to help us with this puzzle? None other than Bertrand. And you know my favourite bit of this entire scene? The fact that Hans and Robin get completely the wrong idea of how to solve it. <laughs> They they raise kids to play this. They don't, they never do this themselves. So basically, Bertrand, who someone last week described as a moron, that's someone being me, um, ends up being potentially more intelligent than two of his compatriots. That's why they were the ones where their only responsibility was pressing a red button. Yeah. Uh, so even though they said that Bertrand was the most intelligent person in the group, they don't trust him enough because it's Bertrand. So even though he's ready at 750 euros, they wait till 500 euros, but he is correct. So he earns the 500 euros. Logan's boyfriend Davy is up third. He has to count all the squares on a picture. Davy guesses at 25, although my quick maths was 36. However, the correct answer is 40, and we don't even see what they push at. And Sam is the last one on the airbag. Everyone just anticipates him flying because he only weighs 50 kilos. And the editors really ham it up with the music. They push the button at 500 euros, but he had no idea, so they earned nothing. All they needed to do, instead of playing the traditional classical music, was instead have David Bowie's This is Major Tom to Ground Control. <laughs> Space Oddity. Space Oddity, yes. I had a trivia question about it. 
yes, they should have played Space Oddity by David Bowie <laughs> as he's being launched through the air. So then Shill gives him an offer. He will triple their winnings if they want to gamble with one of the hands and Robin on the airbag and the other four in control of the money clock. They quickly decide to gamble and put hands on the pillow. He's got to sculpt a penguin and make it identifiable to Robin, who's watching with binoculars before he flies into the air, and the money clock starts counting down at 1,500 euros. I guess because they won such a low amount, they were willing to take the gamble? Yeah, when the maximum prize amount for this challenge is 12,000 euros and they'd only earn 500 at this point, you go, maybe I'm going to gamble on this. It's it's not going to be a major loss if we lose. It's interesting just how much your perception of the value of money gets shaken up on reality shows or when, or when you're taken into a different situation where it's like, oh, we're only going to get 500 euros if we don't gamble on this? That's nothing. 500 euros? I can't even eat for that much. So, Hans actually makes a passable penguin on the airbag, as does Eileen in the cabin. However, Robin got the wrong answer of mole, meaning they earn nothing of a possible 12,000 euros for this challenge. Robin forgot what country he was in. Yeah, exactly, because they're not that far from Baldur's Bay. I've been to Baldur's Bay and it was awesome. And South Africa's quite famous for the Big Five, but also the Cape Town area, and Cape Point especially, is very famous for Cape Penguins. Yeah. At least Robin didn't write down, like, Pinocchio as his guess. Like, why is the nose really long? <laughs> Or what? Oh, how did I describe Hans? Hans's uh, sculpture. I had a I had a very specific description of it. Trying, oh yeah, it was like an Easter Island penguin. <laughs> it looked like East. It was from Easter Island. It was identifiably penguiny. Yes, but that's because we knew it was a penguin when we were watching it. It wasn't like, oh, what animal is it? No, we were already told beforehand, so it kind of, it's like we were looking for the penguin features. I'm not sure I'd confuse it with a mole, because the mole doesn't have distinguishing features, and that's kind of the point of this entire show. Yeah, I guess it's not called, like, the giraffe. Although that would be pretty funny. (laughs) We just can't cast somebody with a really long neck. (laughs) And now, it's time for the main event. Because in the evening, Gilles takes them to a bar and says, Enjoy yourself, but don't forget, this is the mole, there is a challenge in the morning. Do you know where that bar is, Mr. Saunders? No, I don't. It's um, it's on the waterfront at Camps Bay, which is a very pretty area just outside of the centre of Cape Town. Um, it's probably a little bit more expensive than the rest of Cape Town, but this being South Africa, it's still dirt cheap. It's also the site of the world's cheapest hard rock cafe. Believe me, I ate there a couple of times. But a few doors down from the the hard rock cafe is a cafe called Mint, which is where this took place. And more importantly, where my parents ate. So I have been to Mint Cafe. Where where everyone got their buzz on? Hmm. And if you enjoyed this challenge, go back and listen to Looking Very Belgian, our chat with uh, Papa Bear Gilles de Costa, because we chatted about this challenge at length with him. It was one of the greatest challenges I've ever seen on any television program, and I cannot wait to start talking about it. So, Annalise and Marsena have been taken to a spa for the day, so they've had a much more relaxing afternoon, but as with everything in the mall, nothing is what it seems, and in the afternoon they are taken to the Natural History Museum of South Africa for a private tour by the security manager. They have to memorise all the security features and how to bypass them for the challenge that evening. 
The other six indulge in their cocktails and start ordering for each other, and Bertrand chooses a Kill Bill for Aline, and Aline chooses a Casanova for him. And Davy ends up stealing Gilles' wine, and they end up ordering uh, tequila and vodka to continue their evening. With Bertrand, yeah, it's the only, the only time you ever hear the word Casanova associated with Bertrand is if somebody says, oh, we gotta get a Casanova inside of Bertrand. <laughs> It's just such a delightful way to begin a challenge this, even knowing what we know. It's just glorious to to have this sort of a character scene start off, probably the iconic challenge of the season. In other news, I never knew there was a drink called a Kill Bill. Well, I think Mint Cafe is quite famous for its movie-themed cocktails, so it kind of makes sense for them to have a Kill Bill and a, uh, a Casanova on there somewhere. But it's such a mole thing to say to just go, you know what, you guys aren't camping tonight treat yourself, here's my credit card, don't spend too much, and they all fall into the trap and get a little bit wavy. And then at one minute past midnight, Gilles returns to announce that, seeing as though it is tomorrow, there is a challenge waiting for them. And in pairs, they got to sneak into the museum and steal an item, either a gemstone, a prehistoric gorilla skull, or a vase, each worth a particular amount of money for the pots, for a total of €3,000. And they've got an hour to get in, steal the items, and get out. What did Jills do, do you think, while everyone was drinking? Was he having a nap? <laughs> do you not remember that he told us this? <laughs> he, said that, he said that he wasn't exactly sober when he came back. <laughs> I think was his exact term. Right, yeah. It's, I forgot it's been a couple of years since we talked about this with him. He drank with them? Well, I think he drank at a different bar nearby, but he did say to us that when he came back to actually introduce the challenge, he wasn't exactly sober. See, this would never happen on the production of an American reality show. You would never have producers intoxicated and the contestants intoxicated, and then they're going to be trying to handle priceless artifacts. Yeah, it's not entirely the sort of challenge you'd expect from anywhere outside of Belgium, because if you cast your mind back, Gilles also said that they didn't exactly tell the museum what the point of the challenge was going to be. They certainly didn't tell them that they were all going to be a little bit wavy, and I don't think they told them that they were going to be stealing precious artifacts either. Yeah. I can't believe that they actually like didn't have replicas of the artifacts, and those were legit. <laughs> yeah, they were 100% legit. Did you end up going to the museum? No, I haven't. I have, because I may have made a pilgrimage when I was in Cape Town. I only took a picture outside, I didn't go inside, but I still did make a pilgrimage to the Museum of Drunk Museum Heists. Oh, you should try to go in there like hide from the security guard. <laughs> Just crawling on my hands and knees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here's what I love first off. I love the fact that their base is a white van with a laundry company sticker on it. I love that Gilles didn't exactly tell the museum what the challenge was. I love the fact that Gilles himself was a little bit wavy when he filmed this. I also love Davy announcing to Marsena that they're all drunk, and her looking like she's sucking a lemon. I think I had her exact quote right when they're about to start, which is, I laboured for three hours, this will drive me crazy. Yeah, this challenge is just Marsena's nightmare. And that's what makes it so brilliant that she was picked to be one of the guides, because number one, she hates having to guide drunk people, and number two, probably more importantly, she hates not being one of the drunk people. And she just hates every second of her experience in this challenge. And this isn't even the worst challenge for her this episode. And the fact that 
Annalise is absolutely out of her element in this challenge. I don't think there's been anybody who participated less in a challenge than Annalise did. Yeah, this is a recurring theme with Annalise for the next couple of episodes where there's a couple of challenges coming up where you go, is she even trying? Because it certainly doesn't look like she is. It's just a really easy way to gain suspicion if it's like, man, this is just too tough for me. If I just don't really participate all that well, somebody's just going to think I'm mulling it and there'll be suspicion on me. It would be interesting to find out whether she was actually deliberately sabotaging there or whether by that point in the evening she just kind of checked out. Well, just think, like, when Jill shows up at the bar, it's just after midnight. They had to transport them all the way to the Natural History Museum, go through the rules of the challenge that we wouldn't, well, that obviously we wouldn't see air on TV, get everyone prepped, and then begin the challenge. And the challenge was one hour? Was it a one hour timer? So... I'm going to guess they probably didn't even start this challenge till 2 in the morning at the earliest. And given Annalise's age, she's probably in bed normally for about 8 or 9 o'clock with a cup of malted milk or something. I was going to I was going to make that I made a note of that too. I'm like, well, no wonder Annalise is checked out. She had this nice relaxing massage where you, you're not exactly full of energy after it. And then she has to spend three hours understanding the layout of a museum and electronics and security cameras. And then they wait until after two o'clock in the morning to start this challenge. Like she's, she's not going to be that helpful in that situation. No. And let me be clear. This challenge is the pinnacle of comedy that they have ever done on the mole because there is not even a single element of this that is not done for comedic value, which is wonderful. It's like, uh, Michael, do you ever watch, have you ever watched uh, movies with Leslie Nielsen? No. Like Airplane, uh, Naked Gun movies, uh, Scary Movie 3, Scary Movie 4, Wrongfully Accused. Anyway, so this whole task just reminds me as if Leslie Nielsen decided to direct a task of the mole just with how absurd it gets because he does like his movie. Some of his movies are, or spy hard was another one, which weird Al does the intro of, if I recall correctly, where it's just, he's, he's always in, he's always just this dumb spy just bumbling through. So it's just funny to see a task on the mole. It's like, yep. It's just a complete copycat of a Leslie Nielsen movie brought to life. It's just so wonderful, especially when you consider that of all the places that they've been on Belgian Mole, South Africa is probably the most dangerous place to do this sort of a task. There are a lot of people in South Africa with guns, especially when you compare it to somewhere like Vietnam or Greece. <laughs> like of all the places they've been to, you would probably put South Africa bottom of the list of places you should be doing this sort of a challenge which actually makes it funnier. It's just that they had the balls to do it in the middle of Cape Town at two o'clock in the morning. Well, they have to have enough, they have the drinks to do it. (laughs) That's the thing, there's so many elements to this challenge, because first you have to get them shit-faced, then you have to transport them to the centre of Cape Town again, which is probably half an hour, maybe a little bit less at that time of night. Then you have to read the rules to them and make sure that they're still sober enough to be legally responsible in this challenge, Then you send them into the museum, which definitely has security, probably with guns, 
and then you just kind of leave them and go, you've got an hour, have fun, don't get caught, and or shot. Bye! What makes it, uh, I think they did this task on this, they intentionally did this task on a season where it was the lowest average age of all the seasons. It's just one of those challenges that works with the vibe of the season. And the theme of the season is basically big challenges, because you have this one, you have the Ostrich Maze next week, you have the Satnav game with literal electric shocks in two weeks' time. And I think that's kind of why we love this season so much, is the fact that they swung for the fences with South Africa. I wish Kathy was one of the shit-faced people trying to do a drunk museum heist. I wish Kathy was having to order people around on the drunk museum heist. She would quit the task about two minutes in <laughs> and storming out of the van. She would drive the van away and be like, I'm just going to let security arrest you guys. Can you imagine if Kathy was the one sober person in the challenge like this? There would only be one contestant left by morning. What a twist. I just got M. Night Shyamalan done. Belgian mole. So, there is one dead spot in the museum. However, to reach it, they do have to sneak past the camera, and the guard can technically see them, so they have to be very careful. Annalise and Marsena can see the same cameras as the guard, but if the guard spots them, then they are out of the challenge. The problem that they also have is the fact that Davy's shoes make so much noise that they end up having to tell him to leave them by the front door, like he's in someone else's house. <laughs> Wipe your feet on the mat, guys. Also, if Marsena tells you to crawl past the opening desk, what do you actually do? Not crawl, apparently. <laughs> because if you're Bertrand, instead of crawling like a normal person like the rest of the people, you crawl like a fucking spider. <laughs> I'm an arachnid. It was the first point in this challenge where I actually had to pause it and just keep laughing so hard to myself, because literally everyone else goes, I'm just going to crawl like a normal person, try and keep as low to the floor as possible. And then you have Bertrand, crawling like a spider, trying not to draw attention to himself, but as it's Bertrand, drawing the most attention to himself. <laughs> and the guard's path takes around 10 minutes and is a set path, and they can still be caught by him in the dead spot if they talk too loudly, so they have to stay as quiet as possible, which isn't entirely easy when you're as shit-faced as these people are. Sam and Davy are the two people who are least trusted to actually stay calm and sane, so they're sent on the easiest path, the path for the 500 euro gemstone. And in the final room there are lasers protecting the gemstone, Sam jumps over the lasers but Davy ends up having to tell him to do it quietly. Yeah, you know, I'd like to physically lift up Davy's legs to get him over the lasers. So they return with the gemstone but took over 20 minutes to do it of the possible hour-long time limit, and it's Bertrand and Deline who are the second pair, and Davy wonders why they've not heard anything from Annalise yet, because her job was meant to be to keep them away from the guard, and Marseille was looking after the actual burglars themselves. And the guard returns to his office just as Bertrand and Deline are about to go past it. And five minutes later, Marseille just sends Robin and Hans in to save some time, and they have to get the 1500 euro vase, which is in an electric cage, and they have to hide from the guard whose route will cross theirs. And they manage to escape to the third floor, but Eileen and Bertrand are nowhere to be seen. And they manage to wait it out and run past him up to the second floor. At which point they then decide to play at being spies and trying to sneak around the outside, making Marsena and Annalise laugh when they see them on the camera, because they are the least subtle spies in the world. <laughs> I love when Ro they use this pose like five times during the episode, but when Robin's leaning against the one wall like he's Mr. Bean... Yeah, they use Bertrand's kind of 
hiding against the waist-high barrier a few times as well. <laughs> and the school that Eileen and Bertrand are after is protected by a sensor which detects anything taller than 75 centimetres and has a blind spot of a metre around the cage. They get the skull, but have to retrace their steps to escape with it. Sadly, Eline sets off the alarm on their escape, and they are out of the challenge. But it was Bertrand who set off the alarm. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was quite clearly not Bertrand, but we'll get to that in a minute. What's funny, at one point somebody says, or I think uh, Marzina is directing somebody and says, Do you see Nelson Mandela? And I was thinking... Wonder if like Sam or da- Davy would be so drunk that they would think that they would think that they're genuinely trying to look for Nelson Mandela patrolling the Natural History Museum at night. Like I don't see Nelson Mandela. <laughs> He's amongst these dinosaurs. What are the chances that we'd be in the same place at the same time as him? I thought he'd be in bed at two in the morning, not not here party with partying with us to steal artifacts. He had to take a second job when he left Robin Island because he's just got no money anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pr- Twenty-seven years in prison doesn't pay too well working in the kitchens there. So Hans and Robin manage to get to their vase, which has electrified wires around it, and from his office, the guard can actually see it. And while they're waiting, Sam and Davy discuss the important topics, like whether either of them actually has pockets in their trousers. Neither of them does. <laughs> it's the dumbest conversation they've ever shown Belgian more. Just the way everything gets phrased with, uh, with Sam just asking Davy, Oh, uh, did, did you actually have trousers with pockets on the side? And then Davy says, No, why? And then Sam says, I don't either. (laughs) Like, the conversation goes nowhere. (laughs) You know, with Argentina episode 7, where we were really confused as to why the baby Hitler conversation aired, this is another one of those conversations where you just go, why is this even airing? (laughs) It's just this throwaway moment in the episode. This is why Belgian Mole is an hour and five minutes long, is because... We have to listen to two drunk people who are already done with the challenge. They have nothing else to contribute. And one guy just asks a random question for no reason. And when asked, hey, why did you ask this question? He's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the point of it was. So Hans and Robin have to pass the vials to each other in order to be able to grab the item out of the top. And they manage to grab the vase without setting off the electrified wire, and now have to get back to Sam and Davy and get the hell out of the museum, because once the guard finishes his final round, he will be able to see the cameras permanently. And with five minutes to spare, they do manage to get out of the museum with two grand's worth of uh, items, and also without Davy's shoes. Yeah, they actually lose 100 euros because they had to replace his shoes. Yeah. So they wake up on day eight with sore heads, but the chance to relax a little bit and play mini-golf on the beach. And something very interesting that I spotted as well is the fact that uh, their hotel is right behind the museum, like literally backing onto it. I guess they didn't want to go too far after the challenge was over. No, it's like two minutes walk from the museum. I'm going to guess it was probably like four in the morning when they probably went to the hotel. Because the earliest they would have started at is like 2 or 2.30, and then it's an hour in challenge and then debrief. Oh yeah, it's definitely after 4am when they're done for the night. 
Yeah, it kind of explains why they didn't have a challenge the next day. Yeah. Probably because Jill needed sleep as well. Yeah, production. Production had to stay up all that time. And then they had to give Marzana a day to recover because I'm pretty sure she wanted to punch Davy or Sam or whoever it was for calling her Martsky. That has Davy written all over it. Yeah, yo, I, I think the exact quote that I have here is, yo, was that Martsky? And it was at that moment Marzina knew her life was going to be miserable. <laughs> the best thing for us is the fact that we've dealt with Davy when he's drunk. Maybe not as drunk as he was here, but we've dealt with him when he was drunk, and that was when I joked that if I hadn't broken you two up, you may have gone home together. <laughs> I think it was actually Robin who called her Martsky. Because Robin wasn't in te- wasn't that sober, it wasn't uh, his sober self either. Of course, with with Sam, Sam's so small that he's going to be the lightweight. I mean, it, I mean, we just saw him fly through the air, so of course he's going to absorb the alcohol a lot more than anybody else in that group. Yeah, just one kill Bill will be enough for Sam. Yeah, it's a kill Sam instead of a kill Bill. And I also found it very interesting that the hotel that they were staying at for the last bit of the episode was actually run at the time by the same company who I went to South Africa with. Oh. And when we see the mini golf scene, Sam is also wearing a mini hat like the little corporate shell he is. Yeah. Because they are owned by BMW. And Jill arrives and asks them who the best golfer is. Bertrand, obviously being Bertrand, says it's him. And he says he brought them all a present, a pair of sunglasses. And he announces that this evening there will be an execution, and for once, it might be better to be last than second last. Speaking of throwaway questions, I love how Jills just asks, Oh, who is the best golfer? And then Bertrand's like, It's me. And Jills just says, Oh, okay, okay, cool, let's 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 continue. I was thinking, isn't there gonna wasn't there gonna be like a little mini task going on right there? Are they gonna do the goggles thing like in the Greece season? You're just asking who the best golfer is, just out of genuine curiosity. He's just trying to be friendly and kind of make a bond with them. Yeah, who's who's the tallest of you guys? Oh, Davy's the tallest. Okay, so I have these sunglasses. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just completely mislead them. He just pretty much gives them a Jesse Montani response and then just moves on. It's it's quite delightful. Like what else, what else? Like oh, uh, whose favorite chocolate bar here is Snickers? Oh, it's Aline. Okay, so I have these pair of sunglasses. It's just so random. It's brilliant. <laughs> It's like, is there like a, is Jill so smart and clever that that, it's like a veiled insult and nobody knows what the insult is supposed to be towards Bertrand? (laughs) It's just so weird, but I kind of love it because it's just such a throwaway scene. We see like 30 seconds of it and, and then it moves on to the test, but I'd completely forgotten the mini golf scene and him handing out the sunglasses. It's just, it's very odd. So, knowing that there is a test and execution that evening, everyone prepares and speculates what the meaning behind um, Gilles' warning was about preferring to be last than second last. And Hans says to Aline that you could throw the test by voting for yourself for everything and guarantee your safety. 
And Bertrand says it's interesting because if you're stuck between two people and you go all in on one person this time and get last and save yourself, you now have a huge advantage. Can you repeat that quote one more time, Michael? Of course. Bertrand says it's interesting because if you're stuck between two people and you go all in on one person this time and get last but save yourself, you have a huge advantage. Now just bear that quote in mind. It's now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least may go home, except for the mole who can never go home. And Robin says his suspicions were correct. Bertrand is still number one on his list. Bertrand says Davy played for 500 euros because he was forced to, and you can't make yourself suspicious with 500 euros on the line. Davy says Annalise held back at the heist and everything went wrong. Annalise said they had to prepare so quickly that it all went wrong and she blacked out. Hans heard Bertrand stood up way too soon and set the alarm off. Marcena says Aline wanted to make sure nobody thought it was her fault that the alarm went off. If someone wants to make someone else suspicious, then she finds them suspicious too. Bertrand says Aline didn't trigger the alarm he did, but it makes him suspicious by saying it did. Sam says Bertrand is trying to make himself suspicious, but now he's trying too hard. Hans says he gambled on one person expecting a twist to save the last person, and Aline says she's down to four suspects out of a possible seven others. And before the actual execution, Annalise says Marsena was lovely at the heist challenge and she wanted to say it before everyone else arrived, and she bought Marsena a necklace from the hotel gift shop she had her eye on. And quite predictably, the elimination is a bit different. Whoever is eliminated gets a chance to save themselves and send someone else home. Everyone will sit on a chair facing the screen, only with the glasses that Jill gave them earlier can they see if it's red or green. After everyone has taken a turn and seen their screen, they will get a chance to sniff out the liar and earn money for the pot. It's funny that people intentionally changed their strategy just because they thought, oh, Jill says it's better to be last than second to last, I'm going to go all in on one person. Like, they just assumed that nobody was going to be going home uh, that night. Or, or at least thought maybe there would be some sort of advantage to go straight ticket on one player. I think it's a very... I think if it were me, I'd be too scared to just go all in on a hint that Jill's makes during the middle of the afternoon. Yeah, because the advantage you can gain here is that you stick with your normal suspicion, and if you are the worst performer, you then course correct. You don't go straight ticket on one person and just hope that you're picking right because there's still eight people left. Probably split it between... So if you do go with what Jill says, maybe you split it between three people because if you get a red screen, then you know none of those three can be them all. Yeah, that's what I mean. You could easily narrow it down to two people next week if you're good at this game and if you play the game how you should. And if you... and if one of those two people was Bertrand, and it's like, well, you know, it's not him. It's <laughs> just trying too hard. So, the eliminated contestant has to convince everyone else that they got a green screen. If someone else gets accused, they will save themselves, and whoever got the second worst result will go home in their place. If the group sniff out the liar, they will earn 3,000 euros for the pot, and the liar will be sent home. They have 20 minutes to discuss it, before having to do a blind vote to determine who they think lied. I wish Dwight K. Schrute was in here. The liar will perspire. And Jill asks everyone in turn what colour their screen was. Predictably, they all say green. And Sam says he wonders what the liar would feel like knowing that someone else went home in their place. Guilt trip somebody into self-execution. Into suicide, really. And apparently Hans said earlier that he wouldn't fight for his place again and would admit it if he got a red screen. Everyone just basically stays silent, so Marsena says that they are ready to vote. 
and Hans says that there should be honesty, and the loser can give them 3,000 euros as a parting gift. And Marsena says that Bertrand seems a bit more nervous than normal. She gets very angry at being the only person to say who she suspects got the red screen, mainly because that is revealing who they think isn't the mole. She says she thought it was Annalise or Bertrand. Annalise thinks that it was Sam. Robin doesn't say that it's Sam, he thinks that it's Eileen. And Bertrand says it's Annalise. Eileen says it's Annalise or Bertrand. And Annalise thinks it's Sam. And then they do their anonymous votes. Annalise gets four votes, Bertrand gets two, and Eileen and Sam get one each, which means they are seeing Annalise's screen. Unsurprisingly, Annalise's screen is green, meaning they earn nothing for the pot out of a possible 3,000 for this challenge, 2,000 out of a possible 18,000 for the episode, and 14,500 of a possible 45,000 for the season so far. I wish Jessica did this challenge. I wish it was the round where she got eliminated to see if she could contain herself when she saw the red screen. Oh no, she would have burst into tears. It would have been the least subtle usage of this twist ever. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, you see, Sam was really calm, Davy, Annalise, even Bertrand, and then Jessica. You just have a sobbing Jessica in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> she just has the glasses while she's crying. This is, I swear this is just night terrors. Ah! <laughs> and as a result of picking the wrong liar, two people's screens will now be swapped. The person who originally got the red screen will now get a green one, and the person who did second worst will now get the red screen. And Annalise, Sam and Bertrand all see green screens before Marsena is the one who sees red. The biggest team player goes home, and the one who... Who was doing the best with this challenge, really trying to genuinely get the last place person out while everyone else was just like, eh, screw it. I'll just accept the fact that I now have a one in six shot of being executed, or one in five. This entire episode is just the downfall of Marsena because she's just such a big part of this entire episode, and then she gets shanked by the biggest twist of the season in this execution. And just, yeah, it's a group shanking. Like, they all just abandon her. No one is trying to be like, hmm, maybe it is Bertrand. Maybe the best golfer is also the worst at this game, possibly. But it's really interesting to compare her to Iza, who is essentially the same archetype last season, and who got a very similar edit for episode one of being kind of the bitch of the group and being a bit forthright and all that sort of stuff. But Marsena's edit from episode two just flips. And she becomes kind of the heart and soul of the group. And I don't know whether that's just kind of a side effect of everyone hating each other's guts in Argentina, but it's really interesting to compare these two kind of first ladies of this archetype. Well, I mean, without Barzena, no money gets earned this episode. <laughs> Though there's no way they even ha should even bother starting the Drunk Museum heist, because Annalise was not capable of guiding the teams. No, by her own admission, she just kind of blacked out. Yeah. And everyone says that Marsena just wanted to play the game and never made herself suspicious, and she got a reputation in week one of being a little bit of a bitch, but she was actually a lovely person. Yeah, she's a complete jackass at the start of the game, but then we started to like her. But then we met her. Yeah, then she was like trying to, you know, help us win money and trying to get the last place person executed for the good of the group. She helped Annalise, Annalise got her necklaces, and Marzena was very thankful. Yeah, 
I, we really misjudged her as this gigantic jerk at the start of the game. So, next week, the iconic run continues as the search for words and then a golden egg is followed by two of my favourite words in the English language, ostrich maze. Someone faces crocodiles before they go on a bike ride like chickens with their heads cut off, and Robin gets a bit angry. He's always angry. He is. I've noticed this during the season. I mean, I've seen episode four again, but he seems very angry. I think she's very competitive and intense and thinks people gotta pull their weight. Oh, well, that's tougher for Sam since he's only 50 kilos, but... That is true, and that will play into next week. I wish I wish during the glasses thing with Bertrand that when he sees the the red screen and then Annalise gets all the votes, if he just blurted out, Thank God. <laughs> Fee you. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else is like, well, I guess Bertrand's not my suspect anymore. But yeah, just Annalise gets all the votes and he's like, Whew, close one, guys. Oh, man, the votes were coming down. Marzina was pointing fingers at me. The votes were being written, and I was like, I, I thought for sure I was gone, but oh, man. I would have just loved it if when Bertrand was saying goodbye to Marsena, he just turned around and went, thanks, Marsena, you saved me. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, he just doesn't give a damn that everyone knows he's not the mole anymore. I do also love how we spent most of this episode trying to skirt around who actually got the red screen, and now we're like, yeah, it's Bertrand, just, you know it's not him, you know he's not suspicious, <laughs> fuck it. Next week, just pay attention to Bertrand is all I've got to say, because he gets a very interesting edit, and they bury him. The, I can't believe, I guess, being a really good golfer doesn't translate to doing well at the mall. So have you got anything else you want to say about this glorious episode? I just feel bad for Marzena because she carries the team. The team player goes home so damn early. Yeah, we talk a lot about these sort of characters in Belgian Mole Seasons, the ones who rack up so much of the pot and then immediately get shanked by people who are less successful. And I feel like you've got to have Marzena in that conversation. And I'm surprised I'm saying that after this season because I never remembered Marzena being so much of a dominant monetary force. Yeah, and I think this is the episode where, because of the double elimination where Jolene and, or Yolene and Booba were big suspects, I think everyone guesses Davy starting from this point onwards, I think. I think it was only Bertrand who was on Davy this week, because most people were suspecting Bertrand in this quiz. Oh, okay, so it's after next round that everyone switches to Davy? Yeah, I think so. Because I know he becomes a huge suspect pretty quick. So, thank you for listening to our Demol Belgium recap. We will be back next week to continue the hunt for the mole in South Africa. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us on contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at logsubgwacky, and I am MJ Harmstone. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next flavoring. Stay tuned for scenes from our spoiler room. So there's two main things that I spotted the mole doing this week. In Gilles' introduction, she was the one on screen when he asked who the saboteur was, and also, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, she did stand up when the sensor went off, and she made Bertrand blame himself. And Bertrand was too drunk to know that it wasn't him that did it. Exactly, it's a very ballsy sabotage from a very young mole. And, of course, it was very easy to sabotage the flying water challenge, she just didn't solve the puzzle. And she was also basically given control of the button when there was the triple bet round as well. Yeah, and then Davy, this is when Dave Davy just completely locks in on the lead. Like, 
why didn't you just press the buzzer when we told you to ten times? That's so weird. Why are you being so weird, Aline? Yeah, I think Davy was pretty locked onto her by now. Yeah. And then that was like, you didn't get the puzzle and you were effing up on the buzzer. Screw you, Aline. Believe me, she's actually more blatant in episode four. There are a couple of really big sabotages. It's amazing what Amol can get away with when their eyes are when the contestants have their eyes on somebody else. Yeah, it is. Right. Bye.